again, everyone. Welcome to Cloud Wars Live, where we explore today's digital revolution by speaking with business executives and thought leaders who are changing how the world lives, works, plays, learns, and dreams. Our guest today is Ben Ruiz, who spent a few decades in the fintech side of things, where he's helped companies including Visa, JP Morgan Chase, and First Data do some pretty wild digital transformations. So, Ben, thanks for joining us today. Great to have you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Ben, first I'd like to ask you, tell us a little bit about that background and how that plays into this really keen interest you've developed these days in AI. Well, uh, happy to do so. Um, you know, I, I started in tech, as you mentioned, a few decades ago, and I got exposed to AI uh, kind of from the scientific computing side of things uh, at an MIT think tank in Cambridge, um, where I met my wife. And uh, I got into the internet after that, did some uh, uh, work building an intranet for a big insurance company and realized that uh, rules processing uh, in insurance was starting to fool around with AI stuff. And then um, that company got bought and I ended up uh, relocating from Maine to California in 2000 to join Visa, where I ran internet e-commerce services uh, for them and got engaged in um, understanding how VisaNet started to do fraud-related activities, um, particularly uh, transactional fraud. You know, when you do about 10,000 transactions a second and you need to understand that, hey, you know, this one is coming from wherever, you know, Singapore, but this one's coming from Boston, only a second later, uh, that's probably not uh, a valid transaction. So um, started looking at the fraud algorithms associated with real-time transaction processing, and that, uh, that caught my interest. Um, I went to J.P. Morgan Chase, built, uh, built a copy of VisaNet for them to help integrate their merchant acquiring and issuer processing systems, and uh, started building new products and services based on that uh, kind of uh, private transaction processing railroad that they established, um, helping with mobile and offers and rewards and things that used uh, new rules processing as well. And then I went to First Data and helped them build out a token service provider, which is uh, basically a cryptographic and encryption processing thing that lets uh, uh, tools like your mobile phone uh, use Apple Pay uh, and talk at the point of sale. Uh, so that's really all about uh, security and transaction processing of tokens, which has actually a lot to do with, um, with fraud as well and just trying to make it safer for the payments ecosystem. So I've, I've come at it um, historically through the uh, world of transaction processing, but um, I then took a break after first data and started doing some work in the ag tech industry. And I noticed that um, in particular, transaction processing for financial payments and computer vision uh, in the world of machine learning and robotics uh, almost use the same kind of deep learning. So if you think of AI, which has a subset of machine learning, which has a subset of deep learning, and you start to look at the algorithms associated with fraud, uh, they're ironically very similar to the algorithms associated with computer vision. Um, so neural network processing that we started fooling around with 30 years ago in the supercomputer world for scientific computing has really cut across multiple industries and domains. And I was able to see that, um, you know, AI related technologies and computer vision and, and uh, financial transaction services were very similar. So I realized I could start to help lots of different types of companies as I moved into this next phase of my career, which is consulting. 
Hope that makes sense. <laughs> oh, no doubt, no doubt, Ben. So uh, it's an interesting flip there from the you know financial technology and financial services business over to agricultural technology. You said you saw you know a link there. How how is that playing out, and you know what's happening out there in the field? Well. I see it happening in lots of different ways. Um, you know, I, as a kind of student of, of tech, um, I see AI uh, really making a big difference in lots of industries. You know, it's, it's not just agriculture and finance. In fact, I'd argue that healthcare, automotive, financial services, retail, telecommunications, entertainment, manufacturing, all the major industries, transport, energy, logistics, especially with the advent of the IoT and going to, you know, 20 billion uh, devices, right, in the next domain, um, they are all benefiting from artificial intelligence. And the reality of a market segment like ag tech versus uh, a segment like fintech kind of to me is um, almost immaterial, right? What you're doing is automating everything. And what you're, you're looking for is, um, you know, 10x economy of scale, right? So like in the ag tech model, one, uh, one example might be, you know, a while ago, they would farm a plot of land, and then they would start to think about farming a tree. Well, now what we're doing is paying attention to a square centimeter of a blossom, right? So if, a, for example, an apple tree has 2000 blossoms, and you want to cut it from 2000 to 150, so you don't get the little golf ball size apples, you get the big juicy ones, we're able to actually create a time series history at a square centimeter level of the entire life cycle of that blossom. So that's more than 10x transformation. That's like a thousand x transformation or 10,000 x transformation. You know, transactional security for uh, fraud is a similar thing, right? So used to be when you, you know, in the late uh, 50s and 60s, when you called up, uh, visa for a authorization, they had a, literally a book <laughs> and they, you know, a person flipped the pages and looked through the book, right, to see if there was uh, an approval for the, the transaction. Well, now it's done tens of thousands of times a second uh, in real time and um, loyalty and rewards and things are being built on top of that approval process, right? So it's not just the actual yes or no, this is good to go. It's, um, you know, value-added services being built on that. So that's, again, more than 10x transformation. The point is, that's happening in tons of different industries, um, you know, all over North America, China, Europe. Um, you know, agriculture and finance are benefiting in the examples I've given you, but I'm going to argue that AI and productivity resulting from it are probably the largest um, impacting elements of GDP growth that we can take advantage of for the global economy. In other words, if we're smart about continued investments in AI, um, and we're you know we're strategic about how to do that across industry, looking for opportunities like I'm pointing out of you know convolutional neural networks in computer vision as being very similar mathematically to that in financial transaction processing. If we're looking for opportunities of reuse like that, we will probably as a culture figure out that AI is our biggest commercial uh, opportunity. But with that opportunity comes risk, right? There's a threat. Ben, I thought it was, you know, it's so interesting what you said a second ago. If we're smart about this, what are the ways that we can approach this in a smart way? And what are some paths we want to go down that are not so smart? Well, 
I think un, unmitigated growth um, through lack of regulation, lack of governance, lack of policy, lack of process, uh, and just focusing on innovation, invention, and um, you know, disintermediation or things of that nature uh, would be unwise. In other words, uh, people, process, and tools, right? Think about the uh, strategic investment and how to do things that focus, for example, on safety or policy and governance. Um, you know, I'll give you an example in the discipline of um, self-driving vehicles, right? There's, a, there's been a lot of movement, you know, with Waymo and Google and the self-driving cars and all that stuff over the last several years where automated vehicles require, um, through National Highway Transportation Safety and other regulating bodies, levels of certification that's based on um, you know, millions of hours of driving experience in, um, you know, uh, learning neural nets and things of that nature. And there's a lot of debate about what is actually safe. Uh, for me, it, it becomes like an interesting question around things like automated vehicles and, you know, something like, um, well, what happens with humans when they get drunk and drive vehicles, right? There's manslaughter uh, as one example. And then there's like intentional murder, right? Like you're a bad guy trying to go kill somebody and you're using the vehicle as a weapon. Well, a judge can make the call on, you know, manslaughter versus intentional murder, you know. Now think about autonomous vehicles, and it's not a person driving that, right? But you have a similar policy issue around, well, wait a sec, that vehicle, like, intentionally went after somebody, right? That's like a governance and a policy thing that's around a domain of something they call the AI safety case. And the AI safety case is basically mathematically proving that, you know, QED, 0% risk, this machine did not try to kill somebody, right? Or, you know, this, this thing which was intended to cause harm to a terrorist, for example, didn't actually shoot uh, a civilian, right? It, it's a really interesting concept when you think about like highway tra traffic safety, and then something like a farm, which has different regulations associated with it because it's private land, right? So it's now a guy's tractor on his land versus uh, whatever, an unmanned Tesla driving down the highway at 80 miles an hour. And how those are in fact different than, well, this is actually a tank in you know, a foreign country uh, defending our nation, right? Those types of use cases represent different needs for policy and different needs for understanding of rules and governance around um, how uh, we as a society move forward in a safe way around this technology. And um, this becomes really important with, uh, you know, smart weapons, right? Um, I, I personally think the need for governance in things like miniature drones, which can be weaponized, uh, becomes even more important than, um, uh, our society is actually uh, addressing. In other words, you know, a while ago, nuclear weapons were the big concern, and so there was a lot of work done on policy of, you know, assured mutual destruction and how to put in place government regulation. But, you know, what's happening, for example, in that regard to tiny weapons and the need for governance and organizing and uh, structuring that when, um, you know, those military devices, which, uh, just like nukes could get into the wrong hands, right? And so um, what I'm suggesting here is I think the, the need for policy and control and regulation is not keeping pace with uh, that of innovation and invention.
um, particularly in the space of AI. I know a lot of people opine about that, um, but I think it's really important that we just uh, take a kind of conscious approach to the fact that we're dealing with something that is both the largest commercial opportunity that society faces, as well as probably the most pressing ethical issue around safety, uh, in particular, uh, you know, what war represents for our planet, right? Um, so I think there's a, a ton of benefit for humankind, but also a ton of risk. And uh, the things that we need to do to, uh, to pay attention to that are the same things that we do around any tech for safety, you know, the, the standards, the policy, the governance, uh, the rules, um, you know, that you need to pay attention to that um, and don't let the pace of tech and invention outstrip the pace of um, control mechanisms necessary to, to keep um, society and the planet safe. Ben, those are, uh, those are some compelling thoughts there. And I want to come back to the issue that you've described about the risk or the threat that comes up. But a, a couple minutes ago, when you talked about that intersection of, you know, the people, processes, and the tools and the technology there. Yep. So this stuff is happening so quickly. What's the background or what are the skill sets that somebody's going to bring to that who can help, you know, appropriately guide corporations or, you know, governments, the public sector around that, you know, tricky three-part piece of people, process, and tools? Well, I think there's a, there's a bunch of different um, little activities that sort of circle around those three legs of the stool. You know, one is just experience with tech and realizing that, you know, most, most technology projects don't fail because of the tech. It's typically because of the team or the uh, implementation issues that they're facing or, you know, scope, schedule, cost. They didn't have the proper MVP product strategy, et cetera, lined up. They, they uh, tried too much too fast. They didn't understand the organizational change dynamics. Those are typically um, root cause failure issues more than the tech itself, right? Especially if somebody's vetted the tech and knows their stuff. So that talks about organizational experience uh, and the, the need for understanding how teams work and leadership fundamentals in, uh, in implementation. And that's, um, I think, true across all industries, whether it's AI or anything. Um, so that's kind of the first piece on the people side, right? Just make sure you have um, the appropriate level of experience to, to get the, the job done. Um, the second on the, on the um, process side, I would say if, um, if you've looked at best practices across industry automation or process optimization and you've bumped into Six Sigma or um, ITIL or any kind of um, IT best practice framework, you've seen that um, regardless of the industry, there are models to look into as uh, documented, uh, you know, things like, um, oh, I don't know, Carnegie Mellon's organizational capability maturity model on a scale of one to five, where is the organization? Are documented processes actually written down? Do people get trained in them? Are they followed? Um, a highly performing entity like, uh, you know, a nuclear power plant where people die and there's great repercussions when processes aren't followed is very different than a startup who hasn't even bothered to think about compliance and written something down for a startup manual, right? Um, those levels of organizational maturity as um, seen by people who do um, compliance associated with process is the next to me big area to, to pay attention to. So you have the skill of the team and their experience level, and you have an understanding of organizational process maturity using best practices. Um, 
those I think are uh, two of the, the strong pillars there around um, people and process. Um, and the third, as it relates to tech, uh, you know, I think has much to do with the intention of what, um, what the organization is trying to do. Like what's the desired outcome? What's the, um, the thing that they are trying to build, right? Uh, you know, if, if someone is building a, a platform that they think is for a particular purpose, um, typically that platform, uh, AI-based or not, has multiple stakeholders. And, you know, the, the thing I've seen that is um, most helpful is rather than think about disruption and, and turning um, the world upside down and taking advantage of it from a monetary point of view, the thing that I think is actually more helpful is understanding how the platform interacts in a positive way uh, with multiple stakeholders. Right? So what are the uh, ways in which the ecosystem that you're bringing this technology into interacts with multiple players in the ecosystem? What's the value prop across multiple players, right? In, in uh, you know, finance and what I was doing with transaction processing, you know, it was the card holder or the device holder in the form of, you know, the mobile phone, um, the merchant, the merchant acquirer, their bank, uh, the network, the interconnecting thing, the issuer, um, they all had stakeholder values, right? And you needed a value prop that worked for everybody. In the case of the ag tech thing, you know, you have the farmer, you have their labor source, you have uh, the people that are providing the advice and the science, the agronomists to the, to the farmers, you have then the merchants and their distribution channels. So you need to understand, uh, you know, the ecosystem of those uh, players in ag tech to be able to bring forward um, innovation. And my argument is that uh, ecosystem awareness and how you have a strong value prop across that, uh, that breadth and depth of players uh, would be the third big leg of the school, right? So experience management, uh, strong process model observations for how you get economy of scale based on best practice, and then ecosystem-wide um, stakeholder value alignment for your product and service uh, based on your platform. Those would be the three that I would uh, that I would riff on based on your question. Well, you know, we we all know what happens if somebody tries to sit on a two-legged stool, Ben. Yeah. And are are there, you know, of those three? Is it the is it the third part, the tools that where, or the, the the stakeholder alignment? Is that where you is maybe the biggest gap exists right now? You know, for that AI opportunity and threat, um, it's probably um, uh, all three. In other words, you know, like I, I said, I think the um, the commercial opportunities in all those industries is huge, right? And people are doing things to make a lot of money, right? Across all kinds of different sectors, right? Um, you know, I talked to folks who are using uh, natural language processing, like, you know, okay, Google and Siri to, uh, you know, impact the way they do uh, things like insurance claims processing, right? Where you're, you call in and you're, you're talking through your uh, recorded uh, insurance call or, you know, satellite imagery, which, you know, 30 years ago when I was doing the scientific computing stuff was about, um, you know, visual uh, inspection relating to military, but now is more about things like, um, hey, is that the roof of that house that we get from that satellite image? Is that actually corresponding to the roof of this uh, insurance claim? And let's look at the time series data of that roof uh, over the last 20 years and make sure it makes sense to the million dollar uh, building claim that we're getting here. 
um, you know, that kind of GPS-based uh, data analysis, you know, is uh, popping up in all kinds of industries, not just insurance, right? So, so the tech is growing very quickly and people are opportunistically realizing how to um, make money and business on it, which is great. But again, I think it's, it's probably more along the lines of um, process and governance and rules uh, for what is fair um, playing that becomes really tricky, right? Um, I think this is, is uh, more evident in industries where there is no central controlling entity and it becomes um, IT, IT in the middle of a thing that creates a transformation that is now a flat, uh, it's no longer a hierarchy, like the consumer is in the middle or the, the device is in the middle, but the implications are just as big for society. Um, you know, like take like a Visa as a federation construct as an example, right? In the middle, there's an entity that spends a lot of money on writing rules, on policy, on things associated with compliance, and they publish those and they're followed. Then you look at something that is an uncentralized um, model, like a distributed Bitcoin ledger for blockchain, and it puts the consumer in the middle. And that's great because it creates all kinds of opportunities for commerce, but you don't have the same kind of central body that says, well, I can take a quarter from every dollar I make and put it into governance. I can put it into compliance. So they invest in funding. So that means when you have these techs that are distributed like that, and there isn't necessarily a funding mechanism or a governance body to control the safety or issues around security, um, it gets really risky when that tech um, takes off and grows you know, exponentially very quickly. So uh, to me, that's more about government stepping in and choosing to um, have a role. And it's tricky, right? Because they're global. It's a flat world. It's a global world around um, borderless transactions. It's kind of like climate change, right? You need all the planets to line up for the countries to say, yes, I will save the planet, right? You can't have one opt out because one opting out doesn't help the, the earth. These things around these AI implications are similar conceptually to me. They, they need all parties to participate. And that's a tough call, right? Because it's, it's a level of uh, humanity around, um, you know, doing the right thing for the planet or the tech that we don't do very well with, you know, 168 countries in the United Nations or whatever we are now. You know, yeah. It's just challenging. Um, so it's a long answer to your question, but I, I think um, those are the types of things that, that need to be addressed as we uh, move forward as a, as a, you know, a race. Well, Ben, that, that's, uh, you know, again, you've given people lots to think about there. I wanted to toss in uh, one thought on this. I saw an interview the other day, it was with the uh, executive vice president of technology for IBM, John mm -hmm. Kelly. He had just been over at the Vatican. And he had mm -hmm. met uh, some people from Microsoft as well as the Pope. And then he said we spent most of our time with the pontifical think tank regarding, you know, these implications of AI. And he said one of the main issues that came out of this discussion was the notion of bias. And how do yeah. you ensure that the data that goes in to train the AI is done in such a way so that it's a level field there and bias is taken yeah. out? So can I ask on that? Are you, a, are you a, an optimist about the, the capability of, these tools, these incredibly powerful transformative tools being 
put into the market in ways that eliminate, you know, things that aren't so good like bias. Yeah, you know, there's, um, there's a challenge with these uh, machine learning systems that, you know, they're not like traditional products that you would think of, well, I'm going to define requirements and then I'm going to have some programmers code to get at those requirements and then I'm going to produce a product that represents that. It, you know, these big database things that use this machine learning stuff using these data sets, um, it's really kind of almost unknown at some level exactly how that works, right? Like how these giant data sets create the sort of machine intelligence at some level. There's scientists are still stymied about some of that stuff. And they, they run into challenges around um, combining multiple data sets like you know, one data set that's used for machine learning can't necessarily be conjoined with another data set produced by another set of like, for example, computer vision cameras producing, uh, you know, class one, another set of cameras producing class two, taking both class one, class two, and then applying the same algorithmic um, structures against them. There's constraints that have existed because problems haven't been solved there. And that has something to do with the answer to your question about bias, because the data sets generated by multiple entities in this kind of learning model um, aren't necessarily heterogeneous and they don't train the networks in ways that you'd like them to be um, kind of uh, to, to get the benefit and homogenous uh, input from, from all these different places. So what I would look to try and do if I, if I had something to do with that level of um, policy at um, such large organizations as you mentioned, would be to fund um, high-level mathematical work associated with creating, uh, you, you know, things like interoperability on, you know, data sets across multiple convolutional neural networks with an effort to try and eliminate bias that could then be uh, some sort of ethical um, uh, baseline, right? As, uh, you know, the rising tide floats all ships in this yeah. regard. If you can solve it across multiple players, you're gonna help humanity in a way that I think is, um, is possible. I think there are smart people out there who could work on that. Uh, you know, PhD thesis uh, projects sponsored by even things like DARPA, right? You could, you could put grants out there for the purpose of trying to create, um, uh, you know, non-biased uh, data set approaches and try and encourage researchers and companies to, to uh, solve for that and then try and get um, in the same way that uh, I was mentioning standards for safety, uh, you know, that are controlled, you know, in automobile, automobile manufacturers, you could try and implement similar uh, standards based on those, um, those mathematical approaches um, that you could ask AI uh, firms to try and follow. Um, but, you know, like most things in life, it, you know, rules only get followed by people that want to follow rules, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So you still have issues, right, with the ethics of not following those things. But um, my point is, I think there might be a way to try and address that. Well, Ben, you know, this this has been a, a fantastic conversation. You have gone from the these, you know, 10x benefits across industries. Your example about the the apple trees was, you know, extraordinary. I think that really brings to life. Well, 
what does this mean? How could AI help in, in uh, you know, ag tech? How could a farmer begin to approach this sort of 10x productivity? How do you get to feed the world more effectively to the risks, the challenges, killer cars, to you know, bias, the Pope, other things coming on in here? How can, uh, how can the viewers here, Ben, and listeners learn more about the work you're doing and read more about some of the things that you've been writing? Well, I have a, a website, benruis.com. I put out a pod, uh, you know, blog to, to talk about things like this. Um, uh, my contact info is on there. If you want to get in touch, I'm happy to, to brainstorm. I love working with um, teams that are doing digital transformation, whether it's a Fortune 100 or a startup. I love the idea of um, invention and creativity. Um, you know, I see it lots lots just in my daily life you know you guys do too right you got email spam detection you've got um, product recommendations coming into your netflix queue you've got uh you know everything that uh you know you would imagine happening in the in the form of ai around um predictive image recognition for uh for your iphone to say oh yes i see you were hanging out with mom last year let me give you a slideshow of all the pics with you and mom um, you know, that, that's going to continue to happen. Um, I think that what's important is that uh, people are realistic about uh, how to build things and they are um, pragmatic. And um, one of the things that I love to do is, is help teams uh, think through that from their product and business strategy point of view. And if, uh, if there's an opportunity for me to help with uh, one of those things for uh, you know, any kind of AI related startup, I'd be, be happy to talk with them. And if it's a, a big company looking for a transformation, um, you know, like what we did with Visa and, and JP Morgan Chase, um, you know, those kinds of things are fun too. Uh, so uh, I thank you very much for the opportunity to speak with you here today. And I, I hope that I hear from some of your folks and uh, sure. I wish you continued good luck on Cloud Wars and, um, you know, live long and prosper. Ben, thank you very much. Uh, just in case somebody's listening, hasn't had a chance to read it, could you spell out, you know, your, your website where people can find it's, more about you? Uh, ben Ruiz, B-E-N-R-E-W-I-S.com. Perfect. Ben, thanks for the good wishes. Really, uh, uh, you, you've raised some, uh, some things that are going to keep a lot of people thinking for a while. These are important, big, uh, vital things that you've, you've brought up. And so it's great to balance on the one hand, the uh, the optimism, the opportunity, the, you know, the vast potential that exists, but as so often happens, there's another side to it. And, and I think you've yep. given all of us a lot to think about and be aware yeah. of as we charge into this crazy future. Yeah. You know, you know, I got really lucky. I found, um, I found technology and wilderness both at about the age of 17, you know, I was writing code and doing mountaineering and um, I found uh, nature to be a really great uh, teacher for me. And, you know, the combination of AI being both that which could have the highest impact on productivity and GDP growth at the same time as being probably the largest ethical issue we face in terms of war and terrorism, um, you know, to me represents the duality of something like tech and nature. And we have to think about people as well as profit, right? And so, um, you know, the big message for me is really just pay attention to both and, and don't blindly go into profit and big business, but, you know, pay attention to what it means for your kids' kids and how we live and, uh, you know, try and leave the world a better place. And with that, I'll say thanks so much. All right, Ben. Thank you. This has been great. Really enjoyed the conversation. And to all of you folks out there, thanks for being with us here at Cloud Wars. We look forward to seeing you next time.